Hello everyone and welcome back to Bad Apple. I'm Riley and I'm Helen and today we are going to be covering probably the most famous missing child case in Australia. At least that's unsolved. Yeah. I suppose we probably have I mean off the top of my head two major ones. Daniel Morecambe, which is now solved, and today's case, William Tyrrell. I guess to testify to that, I knew of this case, and I suggested it. So it must be pretty popular. Yeah, definitely in, I mean, it's quite recent in the scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, probably makes sense that you would have heard of it after you moved here. Yeah. And the picture is very famous. Mm-hmm. The little boy in the Spider-Man costume. Yeah, I mean, you guys probably just know it from just saying that. Yeah. Mm. If you don't know the name, if someone says, oh, the kid in the Spider-Man suit, there you, you go. know. Mm. When Helen did suggest this case, you suggested it ages ago. I suggested it when we started. And I immediately was like, no. She had the ick. I had the ick about it because... and. I didn't know. I couldn't properly explain to Helen why I didn't want to do it. But I think upon actually doing it, I've worked out why I didn't want to do it. And it's just because everything during the investigation was like a big secret and the police were like withholding certain information, just like kind of drip feeding little bits out into the public. And these were both like by choice, like they chose that as their investigative strategy. And, like, there was also some legal restrictions on what they could say. But it almost, like, made me feel as though something was wrong or something was getting covered up. And I guess because it wasn't that long ago here, it still does feel kind of, like, taboo to talk about. Fair enough. In a weird way. Did that make sense? I reckon there's a complex there. (laughs) Maybe. There probably is. Because, like... um, Grace Mullane. We didn't even find out the name of that guy until like a couple weeks ago when yeah, they put his name out. That's true. But I guess you wouldn't have been fed the info of Grace Mullane as it was like um, happening because that was a New Zealand case. Yeah. I was just coming at it fresh. Yeah. I don't know. If any of you guys also feel the same as me, let me know because I swear it wouldn't be just me. Yeah, it just kind of feels like I don't want to touch that. I don't want to have an opinion on it. I don't want to, like, taint this, like, potentially finding this kid. But here we are. With our infamous podcast. Yes. (laughs) With all... With a million listeners. (laughs) Yeah. So we did it. Oh, I made Riz do it. Helen made me face my demons. I did. And now? It was good. Cool. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do that, hey? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you learned so much about yourself. I did. In the process. Yeah. I'm always learning. Mm. So I guess we should just jump straight in. Feeling comfortable now? I'm feeling comfortable. Let's do it. I'm Now that we, I've laid all that out on the table. This is a safe space. Yeah. On the internet. Yeah. For anyone to view. Anyone will know this about you now. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. On the 11th of September, 2014... Three-year-old William Tyrrell travelled with his foster parents and his five-year-old sister to his foster mother's mother's house, so his foster grandmother, in Kendall, New South Wales, four hours north of Sydney. Now is probably a good time to touch on the foster care situation properly. When William was nine months old, 
He and his older sister were taken from their birth parents, who had a history of substance abuse and domestic violence. While in foster care, he maintained regular contact with his birth parents, right up until his disappearance. His foster grandmother's house was located on Benaroon Drive in Kendall, a quiet cul-de-sac which neighbours the road into the Kendall State Forest. On the morning of the 12th of September 2014, William and his sister were playing hide-and-seek and were moving between the front and back yards of the house. His foster mother and grandmother were outside watching them. His mother had just snapped a photo of William in his Spider-Man outfit while he was playing, a photo that would go on to become infamous. Shortly after 10.25am, William's foster mother went into the house to make a cup of tea. She became worried after she noticed she hadn't heard William speak for around five minutes and went out to look for him in the yard and around the house, but he was nowhere to be seen. His foster father returned from a business engagement shortly after, and when he found out William was missing, began searching in the street and door-knocking neighbours. When this turned up nothing, William's foster mother called the police at 10.56am to report him missing, 30 minutes since she noticed he was gone. I'm not saying that that was a long time since she noticed he was gone. I think, like, if your kid's you're playing hide-and-seek with your kid, probably fair assumption that your kid is just hiding, so you don't want to call the police if your kid's just hiding. I was impressed by 30 minutes, to be honest. You think that's pretty quick? I thought that was pretty um, on the ball, Mm -hmm. like, confident to say, to be like, my kid's missing, call the police, within half an hour. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I don't really, I don't have kids, I don't know how long you would normally give them... Well, especially because it's um, in your house and she was there. That's true. That um, seems like pretty quick to call the police. If you were like uh, at a park mm-hmm. or in a crowded area, you'd probably call quick as well. But this was like... Mm. And people were watching them. Well, they weren't, but, you know, there were people around and stuff. And they could hear them. So I think 30 minutes is pretty good, given the setting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Maybe she just... Maybe it's the... The old mother's instinct. Yeah, nothing we know about. Yeah, we don't know her. Anyway, I guess, despite 30 minutes being probably relatively quick, I guess we've decided, it did still like allow a fair amount of time for anyone who was in the area to make a getaway. The police arrived 10 minutes later and began searching the area around the home. William's foster mother recalls the last time she heard him. He was running down the side of the house imitating a tiger's roar, Then there was silence, and when she went to look for him, he was gone. His sister was the last person to see him, but she doesn't remember what happened. Now she's ten years old and can't remember him at all. They were playing tigers. What's that? They were just playing tigers. Oh. They were pretending to be tigers. Stop it. Yeah. And three-year-olds, that is, three-year-old is young, Mm -hmm. you know? I feel like that's younger than you think. With a kid. Yeah. You say, oh, he was three. Still, like, toddler. Three, and I think he really was probably just this, like, the pinnacle almost of, like, innocence. Yeah. Like, if someone was like, hey, come here. You can't really, you can't teach a three-year-old about stranger danger. No matter how hard you try. Yeah. My little brother wore a Spider-Man costume to Halloween when he was, like, five. Oh, yeah. Cute. Yeah. Was he a Spider-Man Some, fan? I mean, I think <laughs> boys. Yeah, right. They don't have to be a Spider-Man fan. They just yeah. want to dress up as Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I want to dress up as Spider-Man. Yeah, it'd be cool, wouldn't it? But, um, really, yeah, really, um, plucks at my heartstrings there mm-hmm. because, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so young, so innocent. Anyway. Very quickly, the search was expanded to include hundreds of police, SES and RFS workers. Yeah. Um, SES is the State Emergency Service and RFS is the Rural Fire Service. Man, you know your acronyms. Hell yeah, baby. I'm from the bush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and members of the community who searched through the night for William but to no avail. Specialist investigators from the sex crime squad were brought together to form Strike Force Roseanne? Yeah. Rosin? Ro- Roseanne. Roseanne. Do you know where, that, where they got that name from? I think it is once again, they were just going through the alphabet and it was the letter R and now it's Roseanne. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. As with all crime squad Stri- yeah. sorry strike force names oh yeah this is a strike force yeah not a task force not a crime squad a strike force strike force i love the energy yeah so they formed strike force roseanne to guide the investigation through the critical first hours of the search on the ground police and volunteers searched the kendall national park and police divers searched the natural waterways and a number of dams in the area Motorcycles and helicopters were also scanning the area for anything suspicious. Police dogs were able to detect William's scent within the bounds of his foster grandmother's property, but lost it almost immediately upon leaving. Can I just give a quick shout out to my police divers? I don't know if I've said this in an episode before, but they're... I, that's just like something that I could never do. They dive through some shit. I know. Like literal shit sometimes, you yeah. know? Like, fuck. I could never do that. Yeah. So, massive shout out. If you're a police diver or you know a police diver. Hard yards. Yeah. Props. It is something to note that they're next to this national park. Mm-hmm. God, there is a lot to look through. There's a lot of national park. You're right. And there's a lot of like different elements to look through. You've got, you know, the bush, mm-hmm. the waters, like we just listed all. But like, yeah, that was not opportune. It's be. National Park. And then across the road, it's like, it's residential. Yeah. So there's how many hundred houses? Yeah. Definitely not opportune. Difficult, like straight up. Mm-hmm. After this initial search failed to come up with any sign of William, investigators changed tact and focused on reports of suspicious activity in the neighbourhood around the time of his disappearance. Specifically, two vehicles which were seen on Benaroon Drive, which is a dead-end road. These two cars weren't familiar to any residents on the street. One was a white station wagon, and the other was an older grey sedan. They were both parked between two driveways, with their driver's side windows down. Between two driveways? So... Let me try and paint the picture for you here. All the all the houses on this street are on, like, relatively large plots of land. Mm-hmm. So there is quite a big gap between the driveways. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they were sort of one after the other on the side of the road. Right. Kind of like between where I park in the street and the, there's one car in front of us. Yeah, between our two drives. But I think... Like, the thing is, if they belonged there, why weren't they in a driveway? Yeah, yeah. And why were their driver's side windows down? Yeah. No one was in them. No one was in them? No. True. Yeah, so investigators have commented that there's no logical reason for the cars to have been parked where they were. Residents of Benaroon Drive haven't seen these cars since William's disappearance, 
giving police a strong suspicion that these vehicles are linked to the crime. Along with these two vehicles, there are two more suspicious cars that were sighted that day. At 9am, while William and his sister were riding their bikes in the driveway at the front of the property, a green or grey sedan drove down the street, did a U-turn in the neighbor's driveway and left the street. At 10.30, around the time William disappeared, a four-wheel drive was spotted driving out of Benaroon Drive. The same vehicle was spotted by locals just after this, speeding down another street in Kendall. We live on a dead-end street. Mm-hmm. I guess cars chucking U-turns, not that abnormal. I think, like, I guess where we are... You know how there's, like, three streets like ours? Yeah. One after the other? Mm. I think it's, like, fairly common for people to take a wrong turn here. Yeah, right. So, like, we normally don't really think that much about someone driving up and being like, oh, I actually wanted the one street over. What if these people wanted to get into the National State Park? Yeah, good question. And maybe they did. They just parked on the side of the road. They wanted to go for a little bushwalk. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. It seems I'm going to say that the police and the locals, I'm going to trust their judgment here. Fair enough. Because they know the street. Like we know our street. Mm. We know when something's sus on our street. Yeah, yeah. Can't say I'm ever paying enough attention, but probably I'm should. always sus. <laughs> yeah. I'm suspicious of everyone and nosy. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sticky beak. I did some quiz last night and it was like, you're, what? you're a very suspicious person. I was like, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Despite knowing about these vehicles from the start of the investigation, they decided not to release the information to the public for over 12 months, potentially losing valuable witness evidence. This was a part of their investigative strategy. This is kind of one of the things that I was talking about, about the investigation being kind of closed off. And maybe I'm kind of right. Because it seems like that this wasn't that successful of a strategy. Because they've never been identified and it doesn't, they haven't like been able to link them to anyone either. Yeah. But like, I guess on the other side, we don't know what would have happened if they told people what yeah. the cars looked like. You're right. Um, Someone could have freaked out and. Yeah. Done something to William if they had him. Mm, yeah. You're right. Double edged sword, I guess. I guess they took that gamble. Yeah. In their strategy. Investigators had also appealed to the Australian public to come forward with any information about William's disappearance and to keep an eye out for potential sightings. The picture taken by his foster mother of William in his Spider-Man suit was plastered over newspapers and on television for months following his disappearance. Because William was in foster care at the time of his disappearance, his foster parents and biological parents were not able to be identified, or publicly identified, and couldn't assist police with their appeals for information. However, in a 2017 New South Wales Supreme Court decision, it was determined that William's disappearance was one of legitimate public interest, and therefore exempted from legislative requirements. On When I was researching, I was googling a little bit about the foster situation, and there's so we could talk about it for ages, but I chose not to really go into it that much here just because like it almost it did it seemed like a bit rude and invasive and like a lot of people have um like the both the foster parents and the biological parents have experienced a lot of like harassment they've been stalked like people have really treated them horribly so especially because like you know there have been issues with like substance abuse and domestic violence and stuff like that so yeah 
bit shitty. It is, isn't it? Are people bored? They must be bored. Like, it's still... What do they think they're going to achieve? It's still a missing kid, you know? Like, yeah. what difference if he was in the foster system or not? Yeah, yeah. Some people just haven't been very, like, respectful of the delicacy of the situation. Yeah. Anyway, that's what. so that's what I was trying to do. I was like, I might just yeah. lay off the, the parents and the foster parents. Give them a... Cut them some slack. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine if you were the foster parents, you'd feel even worse. Oh my, you've lost someone else's kid. Literally. Yeah. So after, if you if you listen to this and you're like, I want to go find, don't, don't, just don't. Don't go find out who they are. Doesn't matter. Okay? Don't go look, don't go look for them. Yeah, I guess so. Unless you just want to check it out. Yeah. Oh, you can check it out. Yeah. Don't go hunt them down. <laughs> don't go to New South Wales and stalk them. Yeah. Don't do that. As a result of these police appeals, there were several reported sightings of William. Two notable ones came from Queensland. The first was a sighting of a young boy who matched William's description with an older woman who looked eerily like his grandmother in a central Queensland McDonald's. The second was a photo sent to police of a man with a young boy who looked like William. Neither of these were positive sightings. Similarly, in early 2015, two passengers and a member of the New Zealand-bound flight crew thought they saw William on their aeroplane. The police met the aircraft and soon discovered that it was not him. I guess this is kind of like a kickback from showing his picture so much and asking for assistance and the fact that so many people want to find him is that you would just get so many false alarms and... It's not like he had any super defining features. Mm. He's only three. Yeah. He had brown hair. It was short as well. Short brown hair, blue eyes. Blue eyes, brown eyes, I don't even know. Yeah. Very, like... Looked like a three-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. But this is... um, This is not common. This is not normal anyway with missing kids cases. To have heaps of... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. While these sightings are yet to turn up any positive leads, police have identified a few persons of interest over the course of the investigation. There's a lot, right? But we'll just run through a few potential avenues. I've just thought about how. Is this like the first big case of a missing child in the digital age in Australia? Yeah, probably. And maybe is Definitely that Definitely why... in like the social media age yeah. for sure. That's why it's been so, like, there's so many sightings and the picture's gone everywhere. Yeah. Other missing kids cases I think of in Australia happened Like before. early 2000s. Yeah, or even before, like in the yeah. 90s and the 80s. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, it's just my um social analysis. No, good point. <laughs> so, let's run through some leads. The first potential avenue was that one of William's family members was responsible for his disappearance. The complicated nature of William's family relationships led investigators to believe that his family was somehow involved in his disappearance. William's biological grandmother, Natalie Collins, was one of the main familial suspects. Despite Natalie saying that she had no idea William was even in Kendall at the time, police went as far as questioning her close friends and visited one of them at home to ask if she was hiding William for Natalie. Eventually, all of William's family members, including Natalie, were cleared of any involvement. The second person of interest is Anthony Jones. Anthony came onto the police radar as a member of the group Grandparents as Parents Again. Gappa. Gappa. 
What does that mean? It means like grandparents who have primary care of their grandchildren. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, interesting name. I don't know what that... Anyway. The group had been investigated by police for having links to pedophile rings in the area. Anthony became a person of interest when they discovered that he had a previous conviction for the aggravated indecent assault of a young child. There was another man within the group that had a similar conviction, but what drew investigators towards Anthony was that his car matched the description of one of the vehicles which was parked in the street the morning William disappeared. This vehicle was seized from his war shop property in September 2015, but nothing was found. When police asked Anthony what he had been doing the day William went missing, he said he had spent the day in the bush collecting scrap metal, whatever that is. One of those guys with the metal detector, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Cell. Yeah, sure. But some of his family members revealed that he had actually visited the house of another man in the Grandparents as Parents Again group on that day, and that he had returned home in the afternoon drunk. Both men lived in the Kendall area and had been driving vehicles that matched the description of the two cars seen in Benaroon Drive, the grey-green sedan and the white station wagon. They have both categorically denied any involvement in William's disappearance, even as far to say that they weren't friends at all. That sounds pretty damning. It does, doesn't it? But just didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. I guess they seized the car. It didn't have anything on it. Mm -hmm. Do you know if the driver's side window was facing the properties? As in, was it face... It wouldn't have been, no. It would have been facing... It would have been on the street. (laughs) I don't hire me. (laughs) I'm actually... In a car. Unless they were parked on the wrong side of the road. In a car right now. <laughs> on the side I'm like, do you reckon it could have been that one, that side? Unless they were parked on the wrong side of the road. You're right, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if this was America, it would... No. Because <laughs> they drive on the other side. What does that mean? So oh, that oh, even though would... their thing is on the other side, they also drive on the other side. You're right, you're right. So, yeah. yeah. So in no case possible. Unless they were driving an American car in Australia. <laughs> Why would you be doing that, though? I don't know. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I try to be a detective, but I'm not qualified. I guess building off the potential link between the grandparents group and the pedophile ring in the area is the theory that William was abducted by someone involved in a pedophile ring. A pedophile ring was discovered in the area that William went missing not long after his disappearance, leading police to believe that he had been abducted by an opportunistic stranger who had links to a pedophile ring. It seems like the ring was discovered as a direct result of the investigation into William's disappearance, so despite the fact that it didn't lead to his recovery, it wasn't an entirely dead end. This is reminding me of, like, what's the other time they were trying to solve something and just, like, fix something else? I think it was another missing yeah. kids case, like a Samantha Knight, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, more. Where they were like, da 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 da, whoops, uh, fix this whole other thing instead. Yeah, I think it happens quite often. Yeah, when you're just working your job. Yeah. More efficiently. Yeah, you're looking in the right places. Yeah, things develop. Moving on to the next person of interest, we have Bill Spedding. Bill was a washing machine repairman working in the area at the time William disappeared. He had visited the Benaroon Drive property on the 9th of September 2014, which was three days before William's disappearance, and again on the 18th of September, six days after. There were allegations made that he had been intending to visit the property on the 12th as well, but in a video posted online in September 2015, 
Bill categorically denied that there was any intention to be at the property on the day William disappeared, and that he hadn't been there other than the two times indicated earlier. He said, quote, I did not make any indication of any nature which would lead any person to believe that I was to attend the Tyrrell House on the 12th of September 2014. Bill was brought to police attention because he was out on bail for historical child sex offences, which included five counts of sexual intercourse with a person under the age of 10 years from regional Victoria between 1983 and 1987, and two counts of common assault on two girls aged three and six from Campbelltown, New South Wales, in 1987. In January 2015, police searched Bill's Bonnie Hills home and drained his septic tank, but didn't find any evidence linking him to William's disappearance. Bill didn't take very kindly to this particular police pressure, I guess attention on him, and in November 2019, he filed a claim against the state of New South Wales for malicious prosecution, seeking damages for false imprisonment and loss of reputation. His uh, white goods repair business collapsed due to negative publicity. Sorry. <laughs> Rip. Collapsed. <laughs> Not the freezers. Not the fridges. Not the white goods. Not the white goods. No, no, you know what? Very serious. His business collapsed. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Bill claimed that he was aggressively questioned in April 2015 by then-lead detective Gary Jubelin. Apparently, Lord give me strength. I don't know if I can say this. He said, I will ruin you, Mr. Nice Washing Machine Man. I will make sure you are totally ruined. (laughs) Sorry, this is so funny to me. Mr. Nice Washing Machine Man. (laughs) That's like what we call someone that we've gone on a date with but we can't remember their name. Literally. Mr. Goose Man. Yeah. Mr. Sleepy Man. (laughs) Yeah, so he allegedly said that. All words to that effect. They're very specific for words to that effect. I guess guess it really stuck. Yeah. As it would. Imagine someone getting up in your grill. And calling you I will ruin you. Bill says he was deprived of his liberty while held in custody on remand for approximately 58 days until bail was granted in June 2015. Following conditional bail, he says he suffered humiliation, embarrassment and the indignity of strict rules, which included not seeing his foster grandchildren. Oh, Bill. Sorry. Just just so many fostering um, grandparent things going on in this story. What is this neighbor? What's in the water? I don't know. Something was going on. I, I'm. I think it was just a coincidence. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I think yeah, it yeah. was just a coincidence. But it. Yeah. It. I saw when I was writing that. Yeah. Whiplash. I was like. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Gapper. Yeah. Yeah. He is claiming the legal fees paid, defending himself as well as psychological counselling over four years since he was ruled out as a person of interest. As of March 2020, there hasn't been any updates on his claim. Could mean a number of things. Like, it hadn't made it to court, pandemic, or he's dropped it, which is likely, or they've settled. What do you reckon about his claims? I don't think he will be very successful. Right. But do you think um, it's founded? Mm, Look, if everyone sued the police after they got something wrong in the course of an investigation, Mm. they'd be getting sued a lot. Right. He was in custody for 58 days. Yeah. That's like nearly two months. Yeah, that is wild. maybe 
there was maybe there was some sort of delay in his bail hearing or something. Right. Look, I don't really yeah. know, but generally, like, no one is very successful yeah. suing the police because they just, like, you can't, like, be um, tying them up in litigation all the time because they've got to do police stuff. I guess so. I guess in the case, um, not saying he had nothing to do with it, but if he had nothing to do with it, his last offence was in 87, which was, like, 30 years, uh, nearly 30 years. Mm-hmm. My math's right? I think that's right. Yeah, nearly 30 years before this. I could imagine if he had if he was innocent, that would be pretty frustrating. Yeah. Not saying one way or the other, but yeah. Yeah, and I guess like if maybe it's if we give him the benefit of the doubt, we could say that he's kind of rebuilt his life. He has this nice washing machine repair business. Yeah. He's moved on from that old stuff in his past. Like he has I'm pretty sure he had like a wife or a partner at the, at this time. Mm. and to have that kind of taken away as a result of his old offences being dragged back up, yeah, it would be frustrating. Only in the case if he didn't do anything, yeah. which we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, we've got an innocent till proven guilty. We've got to give Bill the benefit of the doubt here. Right, yeah. Gotcha. For the record. <laughs> Let the record show we are giving Bill the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Speaking of dodgy police work, during the investigation, there was a change of leadership after the original lead detective, Gary, was taken off the investigation in early 2019. Don't know if this was before or after the Mr. Nice washing machine man comment. (laughs) Must have been after. after. Maybe led to it. Anyway. And he left the police force soon after. It was revealed he was being investigated for illegal recordings he made during an interview with a person of interest. He was later convicted and fined $10,000. After this, Detective Chief Inspector David Laidlaw took over the case. Williams' family has said that their relationship with New South Wales Police went from empathetic to cold after the change, and that they were told not to contact Mr Laidlaw, but to communicate with other investigators on the team. Why? Yeah, they didn't really like that, but I'm going to say David might have a lot on his plate, and maybe this was just him setting a healthy boundary. Fair enough. Fair Which enough. we stand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, apparently, um, I mean, I think it. we can confidently say that Gary was quite committed to the investigation to the point that he was willing to break the law. And personally threaten. His career. Oh, I was going to say Bill, but yeah. Oh, and Bill. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it would make sense that the family really liked him. Yeah, okay, and I that get if that. And that if this new guy is like by the book and... It, you know, is yeah, following yeah. all the procedures and stuff, it might come off as being cold. Man, drama. Yeah, it is drama. The final person of interest came up a lot in the recent coronial inquest into William's disappearance. Frank Abbott has been known to police for a number of years after being acquitted in the early 1990s of the 1968 murder of a teenage girl in Sydney. He's currently serving time in Cessnock Jail on an unrelated conviction. He became involved in the William Tyrrell investigation after a babysitter came forward and told police that two boys she cares for told her they knew who took William, Frank Abbott. The young woman had been babysitting two brothers in 2018 and they were listening to the song Bring Him Home, which was about William's disappearance. The younger boy said, I know who killed William, and said that it was Frank Abbott. The boy also indicated that he and his older brother had seen the suitcase that Frank said William was in but hadn't seen the body. They said they were told if they didn't keep it a secret, their mother's neck would get snapped. So interesting that they told the babysitter. Yeah, children. Yeah. Don't know, 
don't know whether to. I w- I did read a little bit more about them. Yeah. And both the mum and the babysitter said that it like wasn't like them to make up stories. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like I'm pretty tempted to believe kids. Yeah. They have less reason to lie. Yeah. They don't have any skin in the game. No. And especially like in this kind of situation, you're just with your babysitter. Mm. I guess it is kind of prompted because they're listening to the song. They're listening about to him. the song. But like, yeah. They weren't being investigated. No yeah. one was asking them. That's true. Just yeah. to bring it up. I don't know. Yeah. This evidence was further supported by another woman who lived in the area, Anna Baker. Anna lives on a property at Herons Creek on the New South Wales mid-north coast, which is around four kilometres from Kendall. She was tending to her strawberries in September 2014 when she heard a child scream in the distance. She said, It was not very long. It sounded like maybe he was hurt. It was a scream, and it was silenced pretty quickly. I had no reason to think it was William. Years later, Anna learned that the property which boarded hers belonged to Frank Abbott, and a friend told her that all the children in Johns River, which is a nearby town, had been warned to stay away from Frank. It was at this point that she went to the police. Police haven't commented on Abbott's status as a person of interest, and he didn't give evidence at the inquest, so we don't have any statement from him. Hmm... This is this one is pretty convincing. You like this one? I do like this one. I like it more than the other. Um, than washing leads. machine, washing machine man, random citizen of random, a pedophile ring. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Anthony. I like Anna's evidence. Yeah, I wish she could remember exactly what day it was. That would be helpful. I like how f- with um with Frank's there's like yeah like several mm, things that independent. Yeah, that's the word. Corroborating. Better word. Evidence. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Why do I even try to speak in this podcast? Yeah. No, I spent six months learning about all the evidence words. Don't worry. Yeah. This one seems to be, like, the only one that has, um, like, this, you know? Yeah. I guess with um, Anthony, we had the fact that the cars matched and the family saying, oh, no, he lied about where he was. Yeah. So, but mm. yeah, this one is probably one of the stronger ones. And it's I think it's a more recent one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, yeah. we're still getting more tea, finding out. Yeah. yeah. So, recent developments on this case. On the 12th of September 2016, the second anniversary of William's disappearance, the New South Wales government announced a 1 million dollar reward for information. This reward used to be conditional on the arrest and conviction of the offender, but later they added the condition of William's recovery. So you have to find him to get the reward. He has to be able to be recovered, yeah. Oh, okay. You don't personally have to find him. <laughs> like a, not like a bounty hunter. You don't have to find him. But if, if your tip leads to him being found, oh. you'll get the reward. Okay. You're, it has to, he has to be found. The offender has to be arrested and convicted. So Lots of terms and conditions. There sure is some T's and C's on this one. And fair enough, it is a million dollars. Yeah, I guess so. And it is the largest reward ever offered for a missing person in New South Wales. Double the previous highest. Have we done the previous highest? 500k? Does that sound no. familiar to you? Oh, okay. Her name... I do know her name, but not off the top of my head. Yeah, that's fine. But it was someone from the like 90s, I think. Which back then was quite a lot of money. Why don't they do... Not that I work for the government. Mm-hmm. Why don't they do 
Helen, oh, I love that. I love your policy insights. I'm like, listen to this idea. You need to. I feel like your policy would really be valued in like Scandinavia. You know what I mean? Somewhere that has their shit together. <laughs> What's your idea? My idea is why don't we do 200k, maybe 300k? Oh yeah. Or just. Um, the arrest and conviction of the offender. Yeah. Why are we all or nothing here? Right, we could do steps. Yes. Okay. Yes. I like that. Okay, if it leads to recovery, a million. If it leads to the offender, 300k. Yeah. Okay, Gladys Berejiklian, if you're listening, girl. Listen. If you're listening, Gladys. I just don't, un- I don't, I don't really understand the, like, psychology, like, the reason behind, like, this all or nothing approach. It doesn't yeah. make the reward any more enticing. I'm going to assume that it's, like, a legal requirement. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's why my um, suggestion will land on nothing. Yeah. Deaf ears. <laughs> They're not even looking in my direction. Don't worry. Yeah. On the 12th of June 2018, police announced a large-scale forensic search in bushland around Kendall, which went for three to four weeks and was run by experts in public order and riot squad. Unfortunately, nothing notable was found during this search. Strike Force Roseanne continues to operate, but with just five full-time investigators, down from the 26 that they had immediately after the disappearance. In October 2020, a coronial inquest into William's disappearance concluded after hearing 18 months of evidence. The findings are expected to be handed down on June 18, 2021. So we'll give you an update. That is exciting. Yeah. I am looking forward to finding out what they... They had 18 months That's of evidence. That's a lot of months of evidence. That's a lot of evidence. When um, October is the 10th month, so it would have been April 2019, they started. Mm. Man, that was I a long think, time ago. I think they did have a little pandemic delay in there. Oh, yeah. But, like, yeah, for all intensive purposes, Dang. 18 months of evidence. We'll keep our ears peeled. Yeah for you guys. In conclusion, we'll give you some numbers about this case. William has been missing for more than 2,300 days. Happened in 2014. Mm-hmm. So, six years. So, like, six years, five months, and yeah. a few days. So, he would be around nine. nine. There have been 2,800 calls to Crime Stoppers. More than a 1,000 people have been interviewed in connection with the disappearance. 11,000 documents created by police, 26 countries contacted by the AFP, the Australian Federal Police, and 690 persons of interest. Big case. We really talked about three of those 690. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) But, yeah. How can you have that many persons of interest? How big is... um, I guess because they just could not narrow it down. It's the whole town. It's the whole town? (laughs) The whole town is people of interest the whole town the whole both foster and biological families yeah the whole grandparents group yeah and nothing has turned up it is actually a bit like mind-blowing because it's a um small residential area dead end street but i think the killer has to be the national state forest you think yeah isn't not like the actual but like the the thing that has made this impossible is that Imagine just, you know, like, taking the kid and just bolting into the mm. forest. And then you've got 40 minutes to, you know, get before to the, the police... getaway car. Yeah, before the police turn up at the house, much You're less right. look, start looking in the forest. So... Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to give up, and neither should you guys, but I'm not going to give up because 
Daniel Morecambe, which is like the other, that was like the big um, stranger danger missing person thing from when I was growing up. Mm. He went missing in 2003. It took eight years before they arrested the guy Mm. that did it. Such a long time. Yeah. And he was on the radar when they did the coronial inquest. Oh. So maybe coronial inquest, people are on the radar. Inquest can point the police in the right direction. Mm. And then, you know, maybe something will come up. I'm not going to, I'm not losing hope just yet. I'm not losing hope for an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, me neither. My hope has dwindled a little for a positive one. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just statistics. Yeah, statistically... Doesn't look good. As with, like, you know, the longer a kid stays missing. Mm-hmm. I'm very convinced about Frank. Yeah? Okay. Aren't you? I think that there is definitely some good evidence there against Frank. Mm. And I think I would like to know more mm. about his side of the story. Very sensible answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know what he has to say. And I'm sure we will find out. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. All the toil, the personal labour that went in from my end. I had to do a lot of hard psychological evaluation for this one. Introspective. Yeah. Had to look I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. And now we now we're up to date and we can keep on top of this. We'll mm-hmm. be those girls who like are on top of things, you know? Whoa. Not us. Not, not us at all, but now. Now we are. Now we know the case and we can give updates. We and can. Follow. We can follow. We'll, we can, We might even update in, in June. Yeah. When we're on episode 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So thank you for tuning in. And I guess, I mean, maybe this is a reminder. Keep your eyes peeled still. He'd be a lot older now. Mm. Would be difficult to know what he might look like Mm. but three years is way too young i'm still so sad about that it is yeah it is really really sad yeah and like keeping in mind what he possibly could have been taken for Mm -hmm. that's just yeah horrible gives you the heebie-jeebies for sure yeah god yeah yeah hope we were able to provide you with a good overview of the case it's a pretty big case Mm. this Mm. episode could have gone for a long time it already has yeah but yeah keep on top of it with us Mm -hmm. please yeah alrighty see you next week bye bye